0: Question on Wednesday night, and ever since I finished that service, I can't stop thinking about this. Yesterday, I was, in fact, Friday night. I wrote my sermon for today, the one that's in your bulletin, the out, the title for the, in the bulletin. And yesterday, as I was going through the day, preaching a funeral, thinking about today, going through the day, my heart could not get on that sermon. And I thought, God, if if I can't get into that sermon, there's no way they'll get into that sermon. My mind was still on what we were thinking about on Wednesday night. And so, for those of you who are here on Wednesday night, I'm not going to just repeat that sermon. There are more things I want to say today that I hadn't even thought about on Wednesday night. But in order for what I'm going to say to make sense today, I have to tap back in to what we were thinking about on Wednesday night or else it won't make any sense. So, let me just begin with the question today that I asked on Wednesday night. And here's the question. Why are you in church today? Now, some would say, well, John, the reason I'm in church today is because when I was growing up, my mom and dad brought me to church as a child. They taught me to go to church, and it's Sunday. I'm in church because it's Sunday. And just like I go to work on Monday, I go to church on Sunday. And so I'm just here today because God says we're supposed to go to church on Sunday. Well, that's the best reason to go because we are supposed to be here, forsake not the assembling of ourselves together. Unless we're sick or providentially hindered, we ought to be in God's house on Sunday. Now, some say, well, John, that's true. I I am here for that reason, but also on Sundays, one of the reasons I like to go to church is I get to see my friends. I get to see people that maybe I haven't seen since last Sunday, and there's something about being in the same room with my brothers and sisters in Christ that is encouraging to me. And that's another great reason to go to church. I'm thankful for streaming, and we have a lot of people at home today, maybe sick or traveling, and they can't be here, and so streaming is the next best thing, and I'm thankful for that. But on streaming, you don't get what you get in this room. On streaming, you get the singing and the preaching, but you don't get the togetherness that we have with one another. And so that's part of church is just being encouraged. Iron sharpens iron. And so when we come together on Sundays and get to shake a hand or get to just see somebody, there's something encouraging. Sometimes I'm up here preaching about whatever topic and I look across this room and I know what many of you are going through in your life. Cancer grief, the loss of a job, some of the battle that you're facing. And I stand up here and I'm preaching on who knows what. And I look out there and I see you seated in your pew. And that says to me, you are trusting God and you're moving on with him. And it says to me, if you can make it, I can make it. If you can keep on, I can keep on. And that's how we encourage and sharpen each other. And that's another great reason to come to church. Some people are here today, you say, well, John, I know we're supposed to be in church and it is true that I'm here on this morning so I can see my Christian friends. But to be honest with you, I just like the kolaches in the cafe and that's why I'm here on this morning. Well, that's not a bad, that might not be a great reason, but that's okay. That's why we have the kolaches in there today. Some say, John, I come to church on Sunday. There's something about that worship like we've just had after a busy week and looking ahead to another busy week. Sometimes circumstances overwhelm us, life overwhelms us. And there's something about coming together with this choir and coming together as a congregation and singing these songs to God that refocuses my mind and refocuses my attention. And I really, I get so much out of the corporate worship and so do I. And that's one of the reasons I come to church. Some would say, all that's true, but one of the reasons I come to church, in fact, maybe the main reason I come to church is just because I like to hear the Bible taught, the Bible preached, it is the Word of God, and there's just something about the steady discipline of that that builds my faith and that strengthens me in my journey with God, and that's a great reason to go to church. Certainly, God's Word is the most important part of the worship service. But as wonderful and as true as all those things are, as we came to church this morning, as you drove down Center Street, down Fairmont, up Red Bluff, however you came to get here today, and as you approached the church, there should have been something in your heart, something in your mind that says today in God's house with God's people, I need a fresh word from God. Yes, I'm going because my mother told me to go. Yes, I'm going because my friends are there. Yes, we're going to worship God. Yes, we're going to have a sermon. And all that's important. But what I need today is not just three points in a poem. I don't just need to go through the motions of a sermon. What I need today in my life, in my family, at this place where I am in my life, what I need today more than anything else is a fresh word from God. And so today I have one for you. I had one on Wednesday night, and it's the same one today, except today I have more than I have on Wednesday night. I have twice as much to say and half the time to say it. I'm in a real pickle up here this morning, I can tell you that. I don't know how it is with you in your life, but I try to read my Bible every morning. Some days I miss, but I try to get it done. My Bible reading plan this year takes me through a chapter in the Old Testament on average, a chapter in the New Testament every day. I, and I have a devotional book and I have a time of prayer after I do all that. I like to do it in the morning. Last Tuesday, I, I woke up, I read my Old Testament reading. I was behind. I did not read my New Testament reading. I did not do my, I, I prayed, but I didn't do the fullness of my praying. And I thought to myself, well, when I get home today, I'll do that. I'll, do th- I'll spend my evening in the New Testament and I'll do my praying. I got home Tuesday night about six, seven, whatever the time was and it was one of those it was a good day it was a productive day but do you ever just get home from work or maybe get home from a busy day and you've got something on your mind i don't mean cancer i don't mean anything major you've just got something on your mind and you're trying to figure out the best way to proceed forward with it not a big deal just just something well that's where i was Tuesday night and so i got home and i didn't read my bible tuesday night i just couldn't get my mind I just couldn't do it. For whatever reason, I couldn't get in the spirit to do it. I didn't pray, I'm not saying I didn't talk to God, but I didn't do my normal evening prayer time that I would have done. And all night long, I sat in my chair there and I was just thinking, now God, what would be the best way forward here? Should I do this, should we do that? Again, it was not a big deal, just something I was trying to figure out. Lord, what is the best way to proceed? Well, it got to be about 11, about 11.30, I didn't have any clear answer on that. It's time for me to go to bed, so I went around the house, started turning all the lights out, making sure the doors were locked. And as I was going to check the front door and make sure it's locked and turn the light off in that area, God the Holy Spirit took my mind back to the chapter I had read that morning out of the book of 1 Samuel, and it was like God said to me, John, in that chapter, in that story that you read this morning lies the answer to your question. And I thought about that. Now, I don't know how it is when God speaks to you, but when God speaks to me, it doesn't take God very long to say a whole lot. Whereas with me, sometimes, it takes me a long time to say not much. (laughs) But God can say a lot in a little bit of time. And with me, when God's spirit speaks to my spirit, it's just about this quick just it's a thought. It comes in my mind. It's something in my heart. It's like, now. It may take me 10 minutes or this morning longer than that to articulate and to verbalize what it is God put in my heart. But it didn't take God 10 minutes. God does it. There it is. And as I was getting ready for bed on Tuesday night, God took my mind, I'm I'm telling you in less than a second, he took my mind back to that devotional I had read and God gave me four words. And with these four words, God said, here lies the answer to your question. And here are the four words. They were the four words on Wednesday night and they're the four words on Sunday morning. It's in my heart more now than it was then. These are the four words, let God handle it. Say that with me. Let God handle it. See, what I know is this. Everybody in this room today and everybody watching at home has some kind of a situation in your life. For some, it's it's cancer or it's some physical problem. For others, it's a family situation going on. For some today, it may be a broken relationship and a broken heart. For others, it's a financial situation caused by the loss of a job or some other reason. But you've got that situation. And you came to church today because 30 years ago, your mother told you to go. You just came because it's the right thing to do. But what you really thought as you were driving on these parking lots today is, God, I don't know if I'll get it or not. I know I'll get a sermon. I know I'll get some songs. But God, what I need today is a fresh word from you on how to proceed forward with this situation in my life. And that's why last night, nine o'clock, 10 o'clock, I thought, God, I've got another sermon, but my heart's, it's a good sermon, but my heart's not on that. My heart is on what I was talking about Wednesday night. Let God handle it. You say, well, John, what in the world passage were you reading in the Bible on Tuesday morning that would help enable God to show you that? Well, open your Bible to First Samuel chapter 16. Now, I'm gonna have to really put this in fast gear this morning. But I was reading about the life of David, and that's what 1 Samuel is largely about. And in 1 Samuel chapter 16, I'll just show you this verse to kind of put this in context. In verse number 13, as a young man, David was anointed to be the next king of Israel. David was the second, he became the second king of Israel. At this time though, Saul was the king. And yet God had rejected Saul. Saul had sinned twice. He had gone against God, dishonored God, And God said to Samuel the prophet, I have rejected Saul as the king of Israel, and I have found for myself someone else who will lead my people, and his name is David, and he is a man after my own heart. And so here is Samuel in Bethlehem at David's family's house, and in verse number 13, we read that Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed David in the midst of his brothers. Now watch this. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. That was his home. Samuel anointed David as the next king. And then he went home. Now, what was it about David that caused God to choose him? Was it that David was a perfect person? Well, we know he wasn't. David's sins are the most well-known sins in all the Old Testament, adultery and murder. But it it was not his perfection that got God's attention. God knew he would commit those sins. It was his heart, that David had a heart for God. In fact, if you look back in verse number seven, one of the greatest verses in all the Old Testament, because when Samuel first got to Jesse's house and started seeing Jesse's, uh, he saw his oldest son, a man named Eliab, Big, strong, impressive physique. And Samuel said to himself, well, this must surely be the one whom God has chosen to replace Saul. Look what God said in verse seven. The Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his stature, his appearance, his physical stature, because I have refused him. I have rejected him. Now here's the word from God. The Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so God saw something in David's heart. What he saw was a love for him, a love for God, a sensitivity to the things of God. And he was now anointed to be the next king. Well, the problem with it, not that there was a problem, but the situation is Saul was, was still the king and David was so young. He, he, it's not that he couldn't have become the king, but it just, he, he wasn't the king yet. And so this, this process goes on of David being the next king, but Saul was the king, and in chapter 17 of 1 Samuel, we read that David kills Goliath, and we're all familiar with that story, and it was a wonderful thing. Now, instead of Saul, who actually kind of enlisted David or helped Encourage David to fight Goliath, instead of Saul just saying, thank you, Lord, you have given me this young shepherd boy, and he has the courage to, to slay the giant Goliath, and now our army has grown stronger and more confident because of this young man. Instead of rejoicing in the blessing that David was to him, uh, Saul didn't do that at all. In fact, if you look, in verse chap- look at chapter number 18, and ver- beginning in verse number 7, after David killed Goliath, and then all the Philistines got scared and ran away from the Israelites, and the Israelites pursued them, and they just destroyed, multiplied thousands, we are given that impression, of Philistines. And in chapter 18, verse 7, so the women sang as they danced and said, Saul has slain his thousands, but David his ten thousands. Then Saul was very angry, And the saying displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed to David 10,000s, but to me they have ascribed only 1,000s. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? Now watch verse 9. So Saul eyed David from that day forward he eyed him with suspicion. Saul has his eyes on David because he's now getting jealous of this young man. And in verse 11, we see something terrible happen here. It says, and Saul cast a spear for he said, I will pin David to the wall. But David escaped from his presence twice. And so, as we continue to read this story, and we'll see more today, Saul now is trying to kill David. He's trying to destroy David. He's trying to, to wipe David out. And as we'll see, David had multiple opportunities to destroy Saul, and yet he didn't do it. Here's what, I, here's what came to my mind as I was, and, and again, the situation that is totally different, but the principle is the same, and it won't be the same situation for you, but the principle is the same. David made a decision that even though Saul hated him and was trying to kill him, he would not retaliate, he would not strike back, that he would let God handle it. Now, if you'll go, for example, go to chapter 26. Chapter 26, and I'll just see where he show you where he really had a chance to wipe Saul out. And he chose not to do that. In chapter 26 and verse 7, David and Abishai came to the people by night And there Saul lay sleeping within the camp. So Saul is sound asleep with all his soldiers around him, with his spear stuck in the ground by his head. And Abner and the people lay all around him. Then Abishai said to David, God has delivered your enemy into your hand this day. Now, therefore, please... Let me strike him at once with the spear right to the earth and I will not have to strike him a second time. That is, this man says to David, he said, David, God has given you your enemy. God has given you Saul. Here's his spear. Let me take that spear and let me put an end to Saul. And then you won't have to be on the run and you won't have to be afraid. And he even couched it in spiritual language. He said, God has delivered your enemy into your hand. But notice how David responded in verse nine. David said to Abishai, do not destroy him. For who can stretch out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? David said, furthermore, as the Lord lives, the Lord shall strike him, or his day shall come to die, or he shall go out to battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed, but please take now the spear and the jug of water that are by his head and let us go. And so they took the spear, didn't kill Saul, went away. And the next morning, David basically says to Saul, Saul, here's your spear. I could have killed you if I didn't, if I had wanted to, but I didn't. And now you should know how committed I am to you and how loyal I am to you. But the point I'm making here is David refused to take matters into his own hands. He had an opportunity, we would say, to... to fix the situation or to solve the problem, but he didn't do that. He resisted that and he let God handle it. Now, as we think about our situations in life, and this is an extreme example. Hopefully nobody in the world is going through something like this. I can't imagine it, but we all have situations. And sometimes it's not even a bad, it's just a, God, what do you want me to do? How, how involved in this? What, how, what's the solution to this? And sometimes God just says to us, here's the best thing for you to do. You just let me handle it. Now, When I say that, let God handle it, it's easy for us to interpret that to mean that we don't do anything, (laughs) that here we have a problem. And so we're going to let preacher said, let God handle it. And so what we're going to do, we're going to just sit back on our hands and do absolutely nothing. We're going to let God handle it. Well, we are going to let God handle it. But that doesn't mean that we become passive and that doesn't mean that we do nothing because that's not what we see David doing. David let God handle it, but David also did some other things. And I want to give you three little things, three little steps that you can take when you have a situation in your life that is very challenging and you don't know what to do with it. You do want to let God handle it. But the question is, what are you supposed to do as you're letting God handle it? Three things. Number one, I would say to you, do your part. Do your part. God gave us a mind. God gave us common sense. If you're sick, go to the doctor. If you need a job, apply for jobs. If there's a problem in a relationship, try to make that right. Romans 12, 18. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live at peace with all people. I mean, try to make that right. You can't just sit back and do nothing. In fact, go back to chapter number 18. I'll show you twice what David did as Saul was was (laughs) trying to kill him. David was not totally passive. In verse number 11, again, Saul cast the spear for he said, I will pin David to the wall. But watch this. But David escaped his presence twice. David didn't just stand there and let th- Saul throw spears at him. Look in chapter number 19 and in verse number 10, same thing. David sought to pin David to the wall with the spear, but he slipped away from Saul's presence, and he drove the spear into the wall. So David fled and escaped that night. See, David, David, I think sometimes when we think about faith and how do we do, what do we do in situations like that, sometimes we just think, well, maybe David should have just said, go ahead, Saul, throw your spears at me. God will protect me. And if we read that verse, we said, say, man, that's a lot of faith that David had. Well, that wouldn't have been faith. That would have been presumptuous. That would have been foolish. But what did he do? he did what he should have done. He got out of dodge. He got out of danger. Let me give you a verse. Proverbs chapter 22 and verse three, the prudent see danger and take refuge. And so David did his part. He got out of, he got out of harm's way and and God doesn't want us to just be passive and do absolutely nothing. Go to chapter 23. I'll show you something else that's involved in doing our part. And the situation I was involved in was nothing like David's. I'm trying to have wisdom to make it. We're trying to make we work, We've already made it now. It's all worked out great. But at the time, we were trying to have wisdom to make a decision. And that's what it was. But we had to just let God handle it, let him make it clear. But in chapter 23, notice the role of prayer here in, in David's life. They told David, saying, look, David, the Philistines are fighting against Kyla, and they are robbing the threshing floors. Therefore, David inquired of the Lord. Notice what he did. He inquired of the Lord, saying, shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, go and attack the Philistines and save Kilah. And so David here in this whole narrative, he's faced with a situation. He's trying to make a decision. And what did he do? He prayed. He said, God, should I fight or not fight? Should I go against them or not go against them? And God said, yes. So part of doing our our part is common sense, doing the obvious thing, But part of doing our part is praying, sometimes extended seasons of prayer where we say, God, in this case, exactly what is it that you want me to do? So that's the first thing I would say to you. We're going to let God handle it. Let God give us wisdom. Don't do anything until God makes it clear. But while you're waiting, do your part, gather the facts, have the conversations so that you'll be responsible. The second thing is guard your heart. Number one, you do your part. Number two, you guard your heart. Now, go to chapter 24, because this is the thing about David. He had that tender heart toward God. And on this occasion, in chapter 24, David and his men are in the back of a cave. And on this particular day, Saul and his men walk into the same cave. And so, look in chapter 24, verse 4. The men of David said to him... This is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hand that you may do to him as it seems good to you. They were saying to him, David, take him down. Wipe him out. Solve the problem. And David arose and secretly cut off a corner of Saul's robe now it happened afterward that, Saul's, that, um, that David's heart troubled him because he had cut Saul's robe and he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. So David restrained his servants with these words and did not allow them to rise against Saul. And Saul got up from the cave and went on his way. Now look in verse 10. David now is speaking and and David says to Saul, look, this day your eyes have seen that the Lord delivered you into my hand in the cave and someone urged me to kill you. But my eyes spared you and I said, I will not stretch out my hand against the Lord for he is the Lord's anointed. And then in verse 17, Saul said to David, you are more righteous than I for you have rewarded me good for my evil whereas I have rewarded you with evil. And so the reason that David cut that corner of Saul's robe is so that he could then show that to Saul, kind of like with a spear and say, Saul, I was this close to you. I cut off a corner of your robe. I could have taken you out, but I did not do that. And yet David's heart, remember, he's a man after God's own heart. His heart was so tender that it says his heart troubled him because he had cut Saul's robe. As I think about this very dysfunctional, unhealthy Relationship between Saul and David and all the dysfunction was with Saul, not David. Think about this. Saul envied David. He hated David. He tried to kill David. He did all these things against David. But David never hated Saul. David loved Saul, and he was faithful to him, and even when he had a chance. And so it says to me that in life, we have to guard our heart, certainly from sin, but we have to guard our heart from any types of feelings that wouldn't be the right times of feelings, and David did that. And so we're going to do our part, and we're going to guard our heart, and the number three thing is we're going to just give God time. Give God time. Now, the little situation I was trying to figure out Tuesday night by Wednesday afternoon, that was figured out and resolved, and it's it's just great. It's not a big deal. It was just a decision. But it took a little bit of time. wasn't clear on Tuesday. became clear on Wednesday. Sometimes it takes longer than that. Now, in David's case, Saul trying to kill him and do all these bad things towards him, and yet he made a decision, I'm going to let God handle it. I'm not going to take matters into my own hands. I will trust God. Yes, I will do these things, but I will trust God. Now, the interesting thing is, now go back to chapter 26. And I want to just give you a feel for how how this all got resolved. Now, what I've said so far is a condensed version of what I said on Wednesday night. And I know the Wednesday night crowd wish it could have been just that condensed as what it just was right here. Very condensed but I want to pick up now with what I felt like God showed me after Wednesday night. In fact, put this in my heart on Thursday, not just for me, but for all of us. In those times in life, I'm telling you, this is a word from God today. In those seasons of life where you've got a situation and you don't know what to do and it's stressful and it's tense and it's confusing and And now, mine was nothing like what David, but maybe yours is. Maybe you even feel like people are are throwing spears at you or coming against you or something like that. And you try to figure out what to do. Well, here, David made a decision to let God handle it. Now, that was in chapter 26. Now, look in chapter 27. Nothing happened. Nothing happened. Nothing's changing. Chapter 28, God hadn't handled it yet. Go to chapter 29. Nothing's happening. Chapter 30, the situation is still not resolved. Chapter 31, is, it, Saul, this was a sad end to his life. In fact, if you look in verse number three, you see how Saul, his life came to an end. The battle became fierce against Saul. The archers hit him and he was severely wounded by the archers. Then Saul said to his armor bearer, draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised men come and thrust me through and abuse me. But his armor bearer would not, for he was greatly afraid. Therefore Saul took a sword and fell on it. Saul took his own life. The sword that David could have used to end Saul's life, now now Saul takes either that sword or some other similar sword, and he ends his own life. but, but still the whole situation is not fully resolved. Now go to 2 Samuel, chapter number one, because God was not finished blessing David for his obedience in this particular situation in his life. And in chapter number two, and in verse number four, we read that the men of Judah came, and there they anointed David, king over the house of Judah. And so, David was anointed king over Judah. Now, turn, keep turning. Go to chapter number five. Chapter number five and find verse three. Because sometime after that, see, God still wasn't finished doing all he was going to do for David and honoring him for his obedience. This is interesting to me. Therefore, all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. He's first anointed king of the southern part, (laughs) and then he's anointed king over the whole nation of Israel. And as I was thinking about this on Thursday morning already having experience, and the question I had was already worked out, but just still trying to apply the principles of this story to David, to my own life, and to our lives, and it was like God just spoke this to my heart, and this is the new thing today that I'm just passing on to you as an undeveloped sermon and even an undeveloped thought, but I feel in my heart a fresh and a timely word for God today. If you, in your life, will let God handle those situations when you don't know what to do or if it's extreme like David, when you could just take matters in your own hands and handle it yourself. If you'll resist that temptation and let God handle it, out there in your future somewhere, there is a double anointing in store for you. That's what you see. David was already anointed. He'd been anointed back in 1 Samuel. But as the story plays out and he goes through all these challenges, not just with Saul, but with the Philistines and all the things that he was going through. And on each turn, he's asking God, God, what should I do? He's praying. He's doing his part. He's guarding his heart from bitterness and anger and and revenge and retaliation. And he's free of all that. And and not only that, he's giving God time. He said, God, if I'm going to let you handle it, I'm going to let you handle it. And it may take who knows how long. And it just kept playing out. But at the end of it all, what happened to David? He received a double anointing. And I just felt like God said to me, John, just remember, as you go through life, those times when you don't know what to do, if you will just let me handle it out there somewhere in your future, there is laid up for you a double anointing of my spirit, of my power, of my goodness, of my grace, of my blessings in your life. But you have to be willing to wait. Last night, late, I was talking to my dad on the phone, and he said, getting close to 10 o'clock, he said, you got your sermon ready for tomorrow? I said, well, I've got a sermon ready for tomorrow. I'm planning on preaching about how to spend a day. He said, well, I, I, I shouldn't hear that. I'd be, that's, that's an interesting idea. I said, but you know, dad, my heart is not on how to spend a day. My heart's back on this thing about let God handle it. He said, I saw that online Wednesday night. He said, you gonna make them listen to that again on Sunday morning, what you did on Wednesday? (laughs) I said, well, I think I might. And we continued on to talk and he could tell I was serious about, he said, you know, John, whatever you preach on tomorrow is between you and God. He said, but if you feel in your heart that strongly that that is what the people need to hear, scrap that old sermon and go up there and tell them tomorrow. That in their lives, whatever they may be facing, financially, physically, emotionally, family-wise, work-wise, whatever it may be, and they're tempted to just take matters in their own hands and resolve it, even if it's not resolved the wrong way. He said, you stand up there in the morning if that's what's in your heart and you encourage those people to let God handle it and you show them that the same thing will happen in their life that happened in David's life. There will be a blessing attached to that obedience. God will honor what they have done and in their life, they too will experience a double anointing from God out there somewhere in their future. And so today, we've all come to the service for different reasons. But I'll tell you this, we all have in common we all need a fresh word from God. And as plainly as I know how to communicate one, here it is. Whatever you're facing, you let God handle it. Yes, you do your part. Yes, you guard your heart. Yes, you give God time. Yes, you know that if you'll let God handle it, out there somewhere, there's a double anointing in store for you, a blessing in store for you. And as you wait for that, There's peace and listen, many of the Psalms that David wrote, he wrote while he was on the run from Saul. He's in caves. He's in fortresses. His life is on the line and he's pouring out his heart to God and he's staying connected to God and he's being faithful to God. And here we are thousands of years later, benefiting from the way David handled a difficult experience in a difficult situation in his life. And so You came to church, we sang the songs, we had the announcements, we have our opportunities to tithe, we had our sermon, you leave from here, you get in your car to your class, wherever you're going, and I pray to God these four words will be in your mind all day long. Let God handle it. And may God the Holy Spirit tonight, when you get in bed and maybe you're worried about that child or that grandchild or that bill that's coming due or that situation that you're facing. And you're thinking, man, I'm just so stressed out and I'm so uptight. And what am I going to do? May God the Holy Spirit, just like he spoke to me Tuesday night, bring it back to you just that quickly. Let God handle it. And as you lie in bed tonight, you say, God, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to let you handle it. Now, God, I want to do my part. Show me what to do. God, I want to guard my heart. God, I want to give you all the time you need, but I'm going to let you handle it. I'm not taking marriage into my own hands. I'm going to let you handle it. And God, I know that out there somewhere, you're going to bless me for being obedient and for doing that. And I'm believing that there will be not just an anointing out there in my future, but that there will be a double anointing on my life. Because at a critical juncture, I made a decision to let you handle it. Amen? Amen. Father, I thank you today that your word is not, this, your word is not a, a preaching book that we find sermon outlines in there. That, your word is living and active and more powerful than any two-edged sword. And God, it's real and it's relevant. And even though circumstances are different, what David was going through and what we're going through, a totally different set of circumstances, and yet the principle applies. If we'll make a decision to let you handle it and not try to fix everything by midnight ourselves in what most likely would be the wrong way, that you'll work it out, that it'll be better, that there'll be a happy ending, that there'll be peace, and that we'll have a double anointing on our lives. Now, with your head bowed and eyes closed today, that, that situation you came in here worried about, would you just say to God, God, this, I, he's right. This is your word. He may have done this just for me, But God, today, I make a commitment to you. I'm going to let you handle this. I'm taking my hands off of it. Just like David didn't take matters into his own hands, and neither am I. You handle it. God, give me the wisdom not to be passive, but to do my part. Help me to guard my heart, Lord, so that I won't become anxious or uptight or stressed out. Certainly so that I won't become angry or bitter towards a person or towards a situation or even towards you. But just to have a heart like David. And God, help me to be willing, and I am willing to give you all the time in the world that you need to handle this situation that I'm facing. God, I give it to you. I give my child to you. I give my spouse to you. I give my grandchild to you. I give my health to you. My finances, my future, my fears. God, this situation that I'm facing, I give it to you. I give it to you and I trust you with it. Just like years ago, I gave you my soul and I got saved. I trusted you to keep my soul and get me to heaven for all eternity. Okay, well, if I can trust you for that. I can trust you for this. I just give it to you. I place it in your hands. And I trust you with it. Now you tell him that. I trust you, Jesus, with this situation. If you'll put your hands on it, I'll take my hands off. I back off of it. My hands are not on it. You put your hands on it. And you work it out. It's a wonderful, wonderful way to live. Now, some here today, you say, John, my problem is not so much those things you've mentioned. My problem is I don't know whether or not I'm saved. I don't have any peace that if I died, I wish everybody could have been with me in the family room last Sunday after this service and seen all the people coming in there and being saved. I was, I was in there last week praying with people to be saved so long that I nearly missed the sermon in the second service. And today, you may be one of those who say, John, I need to be saved. I don't have peace in my heart. I, I don't know what would happen to me if I died. Well, you better get that settled. Because I'm telling you, people all around us are dying. I was in a funeral home Friday, a funeral here yesterday, two this week. People are dying all around. And if you're not ready to step out into eternity and meet Jesus Christ face to face, you need to get that settled today. Pray this prayer. Say, Lord Jesus, my greatest need is forgiveness and salvation. And I'm asking you now to come into my heart. Forgive my sins and make me a Christian. I ask you to save me. And I trust you to do it. I trust you, Jesus. Welcome to my heart. Begin now to make me the person that you want me to be. In your name I pray. Amen.